The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Ad number 205 live for June 1st, Monday, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. We are here. I'm here in New Hampshire. Uh, John, who did our lovely intro, is down in Connecticut. Pilot Pete sitting next to me. There are quite a few people on TalkShoe. Uh, we decided we'd do this live again because uh, the logistics worked out. We're here. Next week is WWDC. I'm going to be traveling. And then I think we've got a, a good couple of weeks before Pete is back. Uh, and Pete helps us immensely with these live shows. So we're here live. Uh, we've got lots of stuff to talk about. We've got questions prepped. Uh, we will see how the chat room goes. And if anybody out there on TalkShoe has a question, we can loop that in and, and play a little Stump the Geek as well. So uh, so we've got we've got quite a few things to uh, to talk about here, John. You know, um, the first thing I wanted to mention, I had two time time machine things happen here. Number uh. one was. We, uh, you know, we all installed, by the way, how are you doing, John, before I dive right in here? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm a little, you know, a little sleepy here. I, I think I told you I had to, uh, you know, get up early today. I yeah. begin to work by nine and uh-huh. get a new employee up to speed. Uh, but it was fun. Uh, new guy. Lots of energy. Is that your replacement, John? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not, not, as, not as far as he knows. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's got a little ways to go before he gets, gets that far. All right. Uh, Someday, by by the time I'm going to retire, maybe. Yeah, well, that that would actually be perfect, right? That would be great. That would be great. Um, well, you, you know, so we we all installed, uh, or many of us installed Leopard 10.5.7 update recently, and several shows ago, long before we up installed 10.5.7, we talked about an app called Time Machine Editor, which allows us to change uh, the interval at which time machine starts its backups because an hour is a little bit, um, you know, too obsessive for, for many installations and can slow things down. So, uh, you know, ran time machine editor, set it to three hours on some of my machines. It was even eight or 10 hour intervals and it worked out fine. But, uh, I noticed, you know, after I installed ten five seven, my machines, I just noticed them backing up more frequently than, than I had previously. And I ran Time Machine Editor, and sure enough, it had all been reset back to an hour, but something very cool happened. Really? Yeah. It says at the top of the screen, if you go run Time Machine Editor now, which I know you're going to do, um, it says your settings have been changed. Because apparently it stores its settings in a preference file, but of course the system doesn't read that. It reads that. Uh, and it said, you know, click this button to re- revert to your previous settings. And so I, that's what I did, and I had to type in my, um, you know, my... my I, I didn't see that. By the way, but go on. I'll huh. tell you what I saw. Okay, and so so and you're using uh, and so I, I did that, and then it you know and then I went back to normal and or back to what I wanted, which is not normal, um, and uh, and all has been well. But it took me a couple of days to figure out what was going on and and to remember to launch that app. So, uh, so you you said you saw something different, John? Well, no, in my case, I launched it. I went to interval, and it still said four hours, which I had it set for. I said apply, and it said, well, yeah, the, you already got that. So, um, no. And that was what was interesting, you- though, was um, someone did tell us, so I think this is buried. We'll find the path here. But we, we did have somebody write in, and, and as far as I can tell what that utility does, because I verified it by looking at the plist file, it just changes 
a value in a plist file that indicates, I think it's the number of seconds between, uh, uh, or it could be minutes. No, I thought it was seconds. Uh, between, uh, you know, time machine backups. Huh, that makes sense. And the question was, should should I be able, so getting a, you know, answer early in here, should I be able to just change that setting and, and not have to deal with that utility? And I would say it appears so for now that there's this well-defined, though it could change in the future. And I think even this utility, the warning was, you know, the assumption that you make about a, a value in a plist file could change and then it breaks. And then, so you're sounded like it got corrupted. That's, that's really weird. Yeah. Well, or it got I, set back. That, I, that's unusual. Cause my, uh, I, I did not see that. So. This this has happened on every single machine that I've installed ten five seven on. So uh, I don't think it's a corruption thing. It it was very clear that it said, "Yep, it went back." But of course, remember, I did huh. my updates with the combo updater from the start. So perhaps uh, there is uh, you know some setting differences between when we installed you know upgrading from the. Because you did, you did not start with the combo updater, so maybe that's where the difference is. But in any in any event, it's worth going ahead and and checking that uh, just to make sure that your settings are what you think they are or what you want them to be. All right, you, you know, speaking of time machine, though, I have uh, I I had an issue, and it was it's an issue that I know is near and dear to your heart, John. One of my time machine backups got corrupted. In fact, it's the one that backs up the machine upon which we record. Let me guess. This is a wireless backup. Not at all. It is a 100% wired machine. It has has a wireless card, but it's never been connected that way. Gigabit Ethernet pipe straight to the, uh, well, not straight because there's there's no such thing. Uh, Not in my house anyway. Okay. Because as you know, my experience as as, as well as many others is that the wireless backup to the time capsule is less than perfect a lot of times. So, right, right. Yeah, no. Huh. So this was this corrupted for for whatever reason. And, and I tried to know it was corrupted. Well, it wouldn't back up. In fact, it, it told me that it, it couldn't mount the image or it, like, it did kept... you get the spinny? Oh, OK. So it was sitting there forever and ever. And... Right. Right. And and, it, and and I kept getting this message that it said the backup disk can only be mounted read only. So, Ooh. yeah. Permissions, but it wouldn't. Huh. But the, even then it wouldn't mount. No. So I tried. Excuse me, I tried mounting it in disk utility, and it gave me that same message after a long time of trying to mount. And I thought, oh, that's not good. So, uh, and I've got to go and look and see, is the house iMac on it is. So there was a Mac OS X Hints article that I I found that gave me a command line uh, control using HDI util, which is the... Um, the command line interface for controlling disk images. And what it let me do was I mounted the image um, without mounting it, uh, without showing it on the desktop. And the, the command was HDI util space attach space dash no mount space dash read write. So mounting it, allowing me to manipulate it, but not trying to display it on the desktop because that was the issue. And, uh, and then, and then the path to the image. So slash volume slash milestones is the name of my, my time capsule drive. And then, you know, iMac Intel and the, the Mac address underneath. Right. So I did that, took a little while and then it mounted. It showed three things that it mounted, Apple partition scheme, Apple partition map, and then Apple HFS X. And it showed me the, the disc, uh, 
IDs for each of those slash dev slash disk four S two was the one for HFSX. So I tried to run FSCK, the command line disk utility on that. And it failed. It said uh, the volume backup of iMac Intel could not be repaired. And that was it. Yeah, not good. Well, you know, that's step one. Step two was I went and launched uh, Disk Warrior. And that took, it probably took about two hours. Now, this was on a machine gigabit Ethernet to the time capsule. So certainly plenty of speed there. It was just a lot of crunching to do. And who knows, another machine might have started backing up to the time capsule during this, which can always slow down disk access. Um but it took a while. It found that there were all sorts of problems and, and or, well, it rebuilt the directory. Um, and then I told it to apply it. Now, what Disk Warrior tries to do when it rebuilds the directory is it tries to write the new directory to a different spot than the old one. So if something happens during the rewriting of the directory, you don't lose what you had previously with disk images. That's not always possible. And so that that was it told me, look. You know, if you do this, you're going to have to overwrite what's there. And if something happens in the middle, you're you're, do- you're doomed. And sure enough, uh, I you know, I, I said, well, that's fine. I was doomed before anyway. I don't really care. And uh, and it wrote it and it worked fine. It did a long backup the first time. Uh, it had to do that that deep node traversal thing, John, that you talked about. You saw oh, in the logs yeah. before. Yep. yep. But otherwise, uh, it came up fine. And uh, it, now it's still working. In fact, it, it ran a backup uh, about an hour before we did the show here. So Nice. Yeah. Yeah, mine's been behaving. Uh, I, I've never had a problem. Let, let, me, let me. I've never had a problem with a time machine backup on a drive that's within the same machine, not, not a network interface or wireless interface. Okay. Or at least the one of my G5 is. I've never had problems. But the wireless thing, as we've discussed earlier, there, there are a number of issues there. So uh, I have one new cool toy. Okay, go ahead. We yep. can move on here. But no, the cool toy I have, and I'm looking at it right now. So I was doing some work, and uh, I may go into a little detail later. Uh, but I, I was basically goofing around with iPhoto, and I had, uh, I think, gotten rid of some data I didn't mean to. I was clearing out some old albums, and I think I, I deleted the pictures instead of, um, uh, you know, just the album entries. So anyway so i was looking for ways and there are ways to dig into the iphoto hierarchy or just do a time machine backup but this was like you know a little challenge i knew the data was not forever lost but this was running the processor pretty hot and this was on uh the, the machine was downstairs on on a dining room table with a you know placemat and stuff like that and the machine was really starting to wind up a bit as far as the fans and stuff like that so one i got the latest version of iStat pro which shows you the uh, fan rpms and it was getting up to you know, like 5,000 or something, and the temperature was getting up to about 170 Fahrenheit. So um, then I'm like, you know, I think, I, let me think what's bad about this. Well, number one, the machine was sitting on an insulator, a nice insulator, the, the placemat and just the table itself. So I dug through uh, an old swag bag that, you know, we love getting at Macworld, and I actually found something that really, really helps. Um, iRiser. I think you may have seen this. iRiser? Uh, it's from Mattias, M-A-T-I-A-S. Uh-huh. Dot C-A, if you look I-R-I-Z-E-R, if you search for that quickly, and you look at this thing, and it seems very unassuming at first. It's basically, you know, yep, two pieces I know what of it acrylic is. or plastic, but it does an excellent job of elevating the machine off of any surface and allowing you to run cooler. And I noticed a definite reduction in the temperature when I use this thing, and it's neat because it, it, uh, although they show it with what, what appears to be a MacBook, it works with pretty much any portable, unless it's, you know, really... 
you know, a huge monstrosity, but even then, and, and it lets you adjust the uh, tilt to, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 degrees, depending on, on what you're trying to accomplish. So I keep it here very low. My goal is just to, but, but it's, it's very neat. And you know, the, you see the two pieces there. I mean, they pretty much, you know, it's very portable and, and again, it does the job of keeping the machine elevated and cooler because the, when I was rebuilding some of the, you know, when recovering some of these photos, the temperature was, I mean, I was pegging a hundred percent and the temperature was getting up there and the fans were going even with the, uh, I think they just had an SMC update among other things, right? Uh, at least be. on the MacBook they did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on the MacBook pro they did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I've actually at my desk for years and I don't remember when I got it. But I have a a cool pad from uh, from Road Tools, which is, you know, a very, very similar thing uh, that my laptop sits on when it's here at my desk. And it, I guess, presumably makes a difference. I I've never had heat issues, so I, I'm going to say it, it certainly doesn't make things worse. So so that was just one. And it's a nice, elegant piece of uh, of equipment to give a little carry case. And they even have a little baby version for your iPod, <laughs> <laughs> which is a nice touch. And uh, yeah, so we'll link to their product there. But it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I think it's 40 bucks and it comes with both a, you know, computer thing. And uh, but for people that put together the swag bags, yes, it's worth it because eventually some of us may go digging through them to look yeah. for something that uh, we may enjoy. And in this case, I, I really didn't. So cool. I, I, I While we're talking about different products, I do want to talk about our first sponsor for the show. Uh, and that is disc label from smile on my Mac. Now they just released version six, which uh, enhances disc label and takes it kind of to the next level. 80 new template sets. Now what disc label is, it's important to understand this. What it does is it allows you to create and print labels for your CD or DVDs that you're making on your Mac. Or frankly, you could make the CDs or DVDs anywhere. Disc label lets you print labels for any DVDs or CDs, even if, heaven forbid, they were created on a window machine. Windows machine. So uh, it comes with all sorts of templates, all sorts of presets for different printers. Uh, now version 6 has 80 new templates inside and some new design tools that allow you to create montages right there on the uh on the on the DVD. So if you had put together like a photo DVD tour of your vacation, you could take some of those photos and montage them up and put them right there on the on the cover of the DVD. So you really can kind of start the presentation before they even turn on any electronics, except maybe a light so that they could actually see, you know, see the label. And on top of this, uh, so disc label is thirty five ninety five. For a single license, fifty four ninety five for a family pack, which is up to five computers in one household, and upgrades from previous versions are fifteen bucks. Now, though, you can get the individual license or the family pack for twenty percent off by going to smileonmymac.com/geek. So uh, that's the special Mac Geek Gab deal: smileonmymac.com/geek for twenty percent off disc label uh, for a limited time only. So Ooh. if you're interested, check it out. And of Back course. Now. There's a there's a, a a free trial available because that's how uh, that's how they roll over there at Smile. Well, I think you should act now. Well, act now. No. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and try the free trial immediately. Yeah. Immediately. That's right. No, it's good stuff. Cool. Uh, we're 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 getting some more comments about buzzing. I'm not sure that there's anything I can I'm do about it. Yeah, and you're not hearing me buzzing, right, John? 
No. Okay. Is it like a 60 cycle or, or what? Hmm. No, I think it, this is on the live feed, folks. Uh, I think it's I think it's just the, the talk show interface, uh, talk show to Skype interface, perhaps. But uh, if you're not hearing me buzzing, John, and I'm not hearing you buzzing, we're we're connected over Skype. Talk show is connected over Skype. It is an equal third party in the call. So there's nothing else we can do at the moment. So we're just going to roll forward here. Um uh, shall we take our first caller? Or, Do we have? Caller? Well, yeah, I don't see that we have anybody with their hand raised. So you want to? Uh, uh, do we have a hand raised? Uh, no, no, not yet. No. I haven't seen any questions. Well, there's, oh, there's oh, a hand raised. I like. Okay, that, but, yeah, let's let's take a live call. We've got we've certainly got some uh, some non unscreened. Uh, don't be. that's right. We have some pre-screened <laughs> stuff that that of course we prepped like any normal show. But but sure, we're live. So uh, let's let's uh, liven them up. You better not be a crank call. I like <laughs> iMac. You're up. <laughs> Are you there? I like iMac. You're live. Speak. Hmm. Nope. Oh, man. All right. Well, that's the beauty of doing live. So we Experiencing will, technical difficulties. We will Please come back by. to you, I like iMac. And uh, and right now... It looked like he's, he's logging off and logging on again. Yep. So we'll go to Bill here. Uh, Bill says, I was listening to your latest episode, number 204, and John mentioned battery monitors. I would like to chime in and suggest battery health monitor... From Sonora Graphics, found at sonoragraphics.com. The program is free uh, versus the $15 for X battery, which you mentioned. Both seem to do basically the same functions, and free is, of course, always nice. Thought the listeners might want to check out the free options before spending hard-earned cash. I've been using Battery Health Monitor for a long time, and like John, find the data extremely useful in caring for my MacBook Pro batteries. Now, John, you you checked this out as soon as you heard about it. and uh, you Dude, had- this thing rocks. So... I got to say, X battery is nice because it shows. So the advantage of X battery is it lets you store history of what's happened. So you can watch over time and understand why why certain things happen. Um, Okay, there is value in that. Yeah. And, and yeah, definitely. Um, And it shows. But this shows you a quick and easy view here. And what it shows you is original capacity, which in the case of the battery in my MacBook is 5,600 milliamp hours. The current capacity, which is the current maximum capacity in my case here it shows 89 percent 50 11 milliamp hours and then the current charge which i'm charging right now and it shows that as well as charge cycles and then what it shows which is very useful is next to current capacity it shows the remaining capacity as kind of a, a little progress bar ah. um, that shows you how far away you are from battery debt then charge remaining is instantaneous and then battery life remaining is another indicator um, based on charge cycles where they figure your battery's kind of shot. So I'm looking here and it says I have 155 cycles, 40%. So you figure 300, yeah, maybe four, 500. I, I don't know what the rated thing is, but I guess. So, so it bases it on two things to figure out when your machine's going to die. And actually there is, uh, in the upper portion of the screen, it shows you uh, little indicators. In my case, it says AC power, battery installed, and battery charged. But they actually have one, I think, battery low warning and battery depleted, which I or not chargeable, which I guess those two mean, dude, your battery's shot. But this is a very good tool because a lot of times, as we talked in the past, you may have issues with the battery showing low capacity prematurely. And this tool would be excellent to demonstrate that to, to someone like at a genius bar or something. Say, hey, look at this. You know, I got 10 charge cycles and the thing's at 50% life or something like that, for example. Cool. And I think if it's an extreme case, that this makes it very, very clear. So it's it's different. Um, it doesn't show the level of detail, but I, I think it shows the key points that, that are really useful if you're trying to troubleshoot something. Cool. Awesome. I, I, we always like to hear about new apps. You know, they, 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 
Air Radar was was another one of those that, you know, solved a, a problem with an app that we didn't realize we even needed solving in most cases. So. Um, all right. Shall we move on to Tim? Oh, we got, hold on. Do, do we or, have? No. Uh, well, I like IMAX as he's back. So you want to try right. him again? Uh, is the uh, I just didn't see a hand raise, so I figured oh. I was just going to keep going. Okay. Um, and there oh, it is. There all right. Go. Try it again, Pete. You're live. Hi. We can hear you. Is it working? All right. It is. Party on. Um, hey, uh, this is actually Michael Askew. I called in essential MP3 comment a few weeks ago. Um, I just wanted to know if anybody had any recommendations uh, for an utility to sync to folders. Uh, I'm a big fan of, Dro- of uh, Dropbox, of course, for syncing you know, across computers, across the Internet, etc. But, uh, for instance, today I had a situation where I wanted to sync a rather large folder full of video files on a remote, on an external drive with a folder on my built-in drive. Okay, so you're uh, so you're talking about syncing folders, two folders on the same Mac, correct? Correct. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, all right, John. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? I used to use a, a piece of software called Folder Synchronizer Pro um, to do that, and it was very full featured, but not entirely. Uh, user friendly, especially by today's standards. Uh, th- though I haven't used it in a long time, so it may it may be better. Do you have any Do you have any thoughts while I'm looking that one up? No, you know there was one. Actually, somebody wrote in. I, I think it was in this week's uh, email and uh, and audio comments about another utility very similar to Dropbox. So I love Dropbox. Um, you know, iDisk though it's not free. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. coming up with uh, with a lot. But there was another utility which I, I I was planning on looking at. So we'll we'll have to dig through the notes here and and uh, and find that. Yep. Okay. So I'm I'm seeing a lot of people mentioning Chronosync, um, which is is certainly in that realm. I I've I don't I think I've used it, but I certainly never used it for any you know live stuff. I think I tested it a little bit, uh, but never, never stuck with it. Softobe.com was, was the people that made folder synchronizer X or folder synchronizer 10. And they still make it uh, though. I think the last update was almost a year or maybe um, over a year ago. Um, we, we did talk about ARR sync, which, which uh, Michael was uh, saying in the chat room that he has had. We talked about that recently. And and that probably is is as good as uh, as good as you're going to get for what you're looking for out there. Um, so there you go. Hmm. Any any other thoughts to add, John? No, I'm, right. I'm I actually enjoy. Um, I'm, I've actually I think I told you I'm really digging uh, Dropbox lately, especially with the, uh, the the recovery. And we've had a lot of people tell us the recovery feature can be really awesome sometimes when uh, things go bad. Got it. Got it. Cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to Tim. We, f- we found an interesting thing here. Tim says, hey, guys, just switched to the Mac from the PC and started to listen to your podcast to keep up to date. One thing I keep running into is I have several Firewire and USB 2 hard drives attached to my MacBook at home. And when I close the lid and unhook everything to take it to work, I usually forget to eject the disks or remove them properly. 
And and I've seen this before too, John. This is a this was a question that oh, I'm not man. sure why I never tried to solve this before. But anyway, he moves on. He says, "Is there a script or something I can add to the sleep or shutdown feature to unmount the hard drive either when I close the lid or go to shutdown? Uh, this may be a user routine that I need to get used to, but perhaps there's something else. Now, shutting down will unmount all the drives, so that you don't need to worry about. But sleeping mm-hmm. won't, and that can be an issue if you sleep the machine." yank everything out and then walk away. Now, oftentimes I've seen if I sleep the machine and start yanking components out, it'll wake the machine back up. Um, you know, any activity on USB or, or firewire tends to be um, oftentimes is a, a trigger to go ahead and wake things up. So that that's, that's a difficult thing to achieve keeping a machine asleep while disconnecting everything. But still it would be nice to have something that just, went and ejected all this stuff. John, I think you uh, I think you might have found the magic answer. Yeah, I did find the magic answer. Let me bring up the magic file with the magic answer. Um, now basically, our pals over at uh, uh, OS Ten Hints have a nice little, uh, nice little article here about doing some uh, voodoo done on the command line to uh, basically script. So, so the machine will detect when it's going to sleep and kick things off, and then when the machine starts up again. We we won't won't read the scripts to you, but we'll link to the article. But I think that was that that was the gist of this: is that they are detectable events, and uh, they have some scripting that'll uh, deal with that. But uh, you know, I think in general, you know, with both flash drives and and external drives, as long as there's no pending activity, it's not the end of the world if you shut down. But because I mean, sometimes the Apple warning is kind of scary. It's like, whoa, you didn't put your device away. You, <laughs> and I think it shows, you know, the big red stop sign in a hand or, or something, you know, kind of frightening for maybe for newbies. So, um, but I think if you're actively writing, then yeah, that's, that's, that's not good. Yep. So it we'll, has, we'll, has been my experience. I mean, I, I, I can't remember the last time I've had, especially a flash drive actually not have something that I've transferred over still be there when I bring it somewhere else. Even if I do just yank it from the machine that it's in, whether it be windows or Mac. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know that I've had anything disappear. All right. Uh we might as well go to JT here, John, because JT has a thing related to to what Michael asked got? us. Oh. Mm. Right? It's sort of similar. Uh, all right, let's uh let's see if we can play a comment here. Hey guys, this is all JT. Huh. Or maybe we can't play a comment. <laughs> Minor audio hiccup, and here we go with JT again. Hey, guys. This is all JT. Love the show. Uh, I just wanted to ask a question. Uh, I do a lot of travel, and uh, one of my biggest concerns is always syncing up folders and files and stuff, so I have the stuff I need when I'm away. And uh, I've, I've mastered it pretty much, but I was had, a, had an idea, and I wanted to... Uh, Run it by you guys. Um, I think all folders I need using a utility called Synchronized Pro X, and uh, it works really great. But there's always the moments where I'm going to need library files, you know, mail folders, you know, all those things that you want to have with you that uh, are not sunk up between my computers using MobileMe and all that stuff. So my question is, if I were to just sync the laptop and make it basically a clone of my mainframe at home. Uh, 
ramifications will that have? Is there anything bad about that? I mean, literally, I would just take the, at least the library folder and use it. Uh, All right. There's a, there's a lot. I'm not sure exactly where he is. I'm pretty sure he's repairing a jet engine and, uh, and more power to him. Yeah, on the burner side. <laughs> Back in the hot side of the can. That's right. Uh, okay, so we got the we got the gist here. So, you know, especially when talking about mail folders, uh, you certainly could. So this is how I used to do things back in the uh, in the day when I had a separate laptop and a separate desktop machine. I would do exactly what he is proposing before I went and traveled. I would sync my documents, my mail folder, all that stuff over to the laptop. I would live off the laptop. When I got back, I would sync it all back. And it worked fine. It created a, a stressful situation in that uh, if I didn't, you know, plan too far ahead, then I was, you know, tr- waiting to get out the door until this sync finished, which always seemed to take, you know, twice as long as it was supposed to. And then when I got back, I had, you know, a couple of hours of downtime or whatever it was to copy the data back. So I don't recommend doing that. Um, there, there are better solutions now, as you found with regular documents, Dropbox uh, or iDisk are perfect, right? I mean, it, you know, that, well, maybe not perfect, but they certainly work for mail. Um, I would recommend using IMAP, John, uh, if your host supports it, if it doesn't, if you can, and you know, that's the one thing I do not like about uh cable vision. Otherwise, no, oh, 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 sorry. I, I fired off the comment again. I don't know how I did that. Um, Go ahead, John. You said cable, yeah, cable vision doesn't have IMAP. Well, they're just they they still just offer POP three, I guess. I think most uh, ISPs these days offer POP. Uh, I think IMAP is something you're gonna you're gonna expect to pay for because you're using quite a bit of store potentially using quite a bit of storage space on their server to to right. hold all your mail data, right? I mean that if the idea is to store your mail on the server, well, okay, you know, and it, and it IMAP does incur a much higher load uh, CPU load on the server than uh, than pop does. So, uh, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, it, it was certainly worth paying for setting up if you've got your own server or something like that. Um, you know, one other thing I, I thought of here, John was making the, I'm making the laptop, the quote unquote main machine and only hmm. storing current files on the desktop that way when it, when you're home you have access to both so it's not a problem you've got all your old archives and stuff on the laptop right uh and you can access that from any machine over or network or whoever you want to set it up but then when you leave all you have to do is sync the current files which of course you could do with you know dropbox or iDisk or something very quickly and then boom you know on the road you've got everything with you because that's the main store now you've got to worry about keeping that data safe secure and backed up but that's you know a different type of conversation but that those are my thoughts on it you got any got any thought um i think you should use uh, gmail's imap server <laughs> nicely done <laughs> as boston kiku says we're not paying attention to him <laughs> just mm-hmm. <think> that. <laughs> that's true actually that yeah it, so here's the thing though Gmail and IMAP, uh, IMAP, the way Gmail does IMAP is not normal. It, it's wacky. I'm, IMAP is a folder-based system, right? It, 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 the, the whole paradigm is folder-based. Gmail's whole paradigm is not folder-based. And so what you do is you create 
filters in, in labels rather, I guess is what Gmail calls them. And those labels translate into folders when you connect via IMAP. But the problem is I think you can have multiple mail messages with with or multiple labels assigned to the same mail message, whereas uh, with IMAP, you know, so you get the same message in multiple folders and that confuses the heck out of IMAP clients. Or even if it doesn't confuse them, it creates multiple copies, which, uh, you know, if you're trying to search for things. So okay. I, I, I used it a little bit and it, it's functional and best of all. It's free and these days so very reliable. So, so let me ask you, because I've never really done IMAP because oh. none, none of the, I mean, at work I have exchange at home. I do pop and stuff like that. But right. does IMAP encourage the use of what I'd call folders or labels or some way of separating? Or do you just have one big global inbox and or is it how you set it up? It, it it for me it's how you set it up. I, I've been on IMAP now okay. for so could you could you run it like pop where all your mail comes in one feed and except for the case of it still being on the server versus pulled off the server and on your client. I think that's probably the major difference, right? Right. The big the big difference is that your client merely syncs up with the server. So if, if you've got so are you always engaging in network activity or can you cache? You can cache. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you, you can't. Well, all right. So you could do it smart. You don't. You don't. You're not going to re-download the same or redisplay the same data every time. Correct. Got it. So it checks for a different. Okay. All right. I got it. Yeah. yeah it checks it for differences. Uh, That's right. Now, Mail Apple's Mail app is one of the least efficient IMAP apps oh. uh, I've ever IMAP clients I've ever seen. It 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 tries to do too much on each connection, which is fine when you're on a high speed pipe. But, you know, if you're trying to work over, you know, dial up or crummy hotel Wi-Fi or whatever, it's not so good. Um, but but is it a chatty Kathy? It's a chatty Kathy. There you go. That's right. <laughs> we got we got to have we got to get we got to get a chatty Kathy soundbite that we can play. That would be awesome. If anybody's got a chatty Kathy doll and they can they can record a soundbite for <laughs> us. That'd be totally awesome. Um. So, so, you know, for mail, I would, but I would do IMAP. And if you have to do Gmail, you can do it. You just have to be intelligent about it in that you need to kind of go in eyes wide open and know that either plan not to set up labels that can apply to multiple messages. Or if you do know that, you know, your mileage may vary. So, uh, do we have got a any, it, yep. And I've, I've answered my question for Pete, Good. With a big okay. solid thumbs up. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Do we have? Uh, I think I heard the fridge going there. I don't think so. I, I think that or microphone's muted. That's right. Or something. Yeah. Um, do we have any questions in the room? We can't have questions in the room because Pete's not sitting at his uh, at his station right now. So we're gonna go to. Uh, let's go to oh, Tommy. Yeah, we can. We can do. Hold Tommy. on. Wait. Oh I'm no, lost. you got. What, what's going on, John? You got go something to say? You know what? No, no. Okay. Uh, you know what? No, this is actually an excellent time. I, I want to make sure we get to our, oh, our second yes, sponsor of, of the show. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. uh, Pete's distracting me with a, with a question. Um, in case it ever comes up in a, it, this is totally unrelated to what's happening right now, Pete, but in case it ever comes up, I, I tend not to drink light beer. So I, I, I'm sure that's not relevant to our current flow here but uh i want to speak to the person responsible for that because uh <laughs> well i'll tell you right now and then we'll uh we'll deviate but uh, uh dave you know this i got a dogfish head 120 minute ipa nice 
As you know, this is not a light beer. No. This is probably as as heavy as you can get and still call it beer. Yeah, I don't even know if I call it beer. In, in, I don't think you can call that beer in New Hampshire. No. All right. Actually, yes. Uh, go on. All right. Our second sponsor for the show is Circus Pony Software with uh, at CircusPonies.com with Notebook version 3.0. Now, just today, they updated version 3.0 and added French and German localizations and have partnered to release an Italian version. So wide open. Now, of course, we do this show in English, so I'm assuming that most of the folks that uh, listen uh, at least certainly understand English, though not necessarily as their first language. Um, but that that is uh, that is what they announced today. Now, Notebook, you ask, what is it? It is an electronic organizer application. It starts with the notebook paradigm. You launch and you can create multiple notebooks. Now you can create them for different topics, for different areas of your life, what, however you want to do it. It's, it's a almost blank slate that you start with and you fill in, in a hierarchical notebook view initially, and then you can pull in PDFs. You can add annotations. You can add doodles. If you have a, a, writing tablet you can even write into your notebook you can add uh, keywords you can basically organize your data any way you would like to and then when you need to look for something you can use what they call multi-dex which allows you to search through not just one notebook that you're in but through all of your notebooks and you don't have to remember exactly what it is you're looking for. If you remember a keyword that you assigned or the date you entered it, or maybe a name embedded within whatever it was notebook version 3.0 from circus ponies at circusponies.com. It's 49 95, but of course they offer a 30 day test drive. So you can go check it out at circusponies.com. Um, all right. So What's do we that? have a question? We don't have a question in the room, so oh. we will, we will go to Tommy here. And let's think see. so. Yeah. No. It, and, and you know, it's good to do it this way. I mean, yes, there there's folks in the room, but of course, there's you know, legions of folks uh, listening at home and listening on the feed. So it's it's good that we're doing it this way. All right. So Tommy writes, I just got my MacBook Pro back from Apple Repair, and they did not erase the hard drive, which is great. But now, when I connect it to my external hard drive that he's used for Time Machine, it does not see the previous backup and wants to start over. I don't understand why, since it was backing up just fine before I sent it to Apple. Do you think they did something to the preference files during their testing? How would you point Time Machine back to the existing files? All right, John, you, you go. Uh, initial theory is something changed. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's all. That's always a good place to start. I'll agree. <laughs> well, I'm going to guess because I know at some level I, I can't find it exactly right now, but I, I do believe that in your time uh, machine backup, the MAC address of the machine is buried in there somewhere, and I'm trying to find that. It is. I guess well, what I'm saying is what I'm what I'm going to say is my guess is that they did try as a as a possible repair measure. Swap out the motherboard. I'm sure or that's it's right. something which changed. I, I'm thinking either the serial number or some unique uh, feature of the machine. Now we've we've had we've heard reports where they they can wipe the serial number. I I don't believe that's part of uh, Time Machine, but it could be. But 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 from what I've seen, the MAC address is buried in there somewhere. The, the MAC address of the Ethernet port. It if you are con if you are backing up over a network, um, it's. 
actually stated in the folder name that that computer uses. Like like right. I was saying before, this computer, it, it I called it iMac Intel when I got it because it was the first Intel right. iMac I had. So I called it iMac. It's iMac Intel dot and then the Mac address underscore sparse bundle or dot sparse bundle or whatever it is. So it's there. If you are backing up to a hard drive just inside the backups dot backup DB mm. folder, I believe the Mac address is is stored as a dot file there. And there there are some uh, instructions out there. We'll, we'll find the. I, I know there was yet another Mac OS 10 hints article that discusses how to go through and change all the pointers uh, for the Mac address to the one on the yeah. new machine. I did it once and it worked. Um, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I moved from. In fact, I think it, I don't know if it was this machine or no, it's the one that's over at the house. But uh, it worked. But, you know, it, it's not for the fainted heart. So. Right. So we'll. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if if. Uh, if they actually made a record of the MAC address before they sent the machine out, which. Uh, you may or may not. You know, actually, it may not be a bad idea just just for kicks. Before you ship the machine though. out to get fixed. No, uh, yeah, well, I'm thinking just. I don't know. I would run because you can run system profiler or whatever we want to call it here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. System info, you know, every now and then I believe you can save out a pretty detailed list of all of the stuff that's found. And, you know, before you ship a machine out, eh, write that file out. Yeah. I'm looking here. I think it's save as. Yeah. So you can say save as. It's not a bad idea, actually. System profiler. And actually, I'm looking right now. Save as and uh, file format system profiler 4.0 XML. So it writes out a nice uh, XML file, which everybody loves. And uh, I would assume has pretty much all the stuff that you see in the system profiler. So. Why not? But yeah, I see here, like, for example, when you start up System Profiler under hardware, it says serial number, and there's something there. And I've heard reports, a lot of reports, where a lot of times when you get a machine back, somebody forgets to set that. Yep. And, you know, it's it's bad bad news for you if, if you have an app that checks that. I'm not aware of many apps on the Mac. I mean, I hate that sort of stuff, I got to tell you, especially being a <laughs> software person. I hate all these keys, you know, I mean, Windows is full of them. You know, activation keys yeah. and dongles. Though I've seen the industry has pretty much moved away from dongles, but there's still some people that hold on to that. And there's some reasons sometimes. I mean, I'm actually working on a project at the day job where we have a piece of software and we really want to be sure that it can only run on a machine that a certain individual has access to. So, okay, we get one of the, uh, I think it's called SafeNet now is the company that does that. They used to be Rainbow and probably have gone through, you know, a couple of iterations. But uh, um, it's not a bad thing. You know, it's two-factor or whatever factor security that you want sometimes there's a reason to do it but but to subject consumers to that sort of thing that's that's just wrong all right so i'm going to tug on the reins a little bit here and, and bring us back what? to bring us what? back to tommy's question Where, what was the question <laughs> yeah was what happened and i think i think we we covered what could have happened yeah so it, it's a motherboard change it's the mac address the serial number it, it is it is actually good to keep that data uh, separate. I like your idea of saving a system profiler report. That's a good idea. But it, it is the MAC address. We will put a link in the show notes to the Mac OS 10 hints article that uh, that discusses re-engineering a time time machine backup. But really, uh, you know, unless unless you are running your life in such a way that you rely on going back to old backups regularly, what I would do is just take that one and archive it off. You can always use the option key and click on the time machine menu to browse other time machine disks. 
and go and look into that old backup, even though it's not married to your machine. And then, uh, and just start anew and then, you know, in, in three to six months, just throw the old one away. So, all right. Question. There, there is a question in the room. It's, it's, it's going to be one that, uh, that challenges our on the fly abilities, I think, but, uh, but let's, let's try it. Ooh. So go ahead. A- AMC podcast. You are live. Hey guys, it's Greg from San Diego. Um, hey, I have Greg. a question about, um, uh, PGP full disk encryption, and I think it's time to run Disk Warrior on my Mac, but okay. I'm afraid that I'm going to have to buy a completely separate license for my uh, external hard drive to boot from to decrypt my hard drive. What are your thoughts? No. Okay. A, a completely different license of Disk Warrior or of PGP? Of PGP. Okay, I can't speak about PGP, but Pilot Pete uses PGP, and if you try to say that ten times fast... Uh... <laughs> the bullseye is on Pilot Pete. Yeah, look at me. Now, here's what I did. My, mine was getting a, a little uh, iffy a while back, and, and I can't. that's the best uh, technical description I can give you because I can't put my finger on anything that it was doing. The, the computer was just sluggish. What I ultimately wound up doing was decrypting the hard drive then working on it and then re-encrypting it later. Not, okay, not yeah, the best solution. Uh, but. Encry- yeah, encryption took, I don't know, days for me on my MacBook, so I guess that's wow. the only option. Um, yeah, I want to say it took, it probably took 12 or 13 hours to decrypt, whereas it only, it, you know, it said it was going to take eight or nine hours and it, and it was probably done in two or three. So, and I got a 320 gig hard drive, so. Huh. Yeah, that's what I have too. But uh, all right, well, mm. um, yeah, that I was afraid of that, unfortunately. All right, well, that that I, I guess that that answers the uh, that sends us down the right path, anyway. So, thank you, Pete. That's that's excellent. <laughs> but I guess that's the the Achilles heel of any of the uh, you know full disk encryption products is that they kind of confuse <laughs> repair products. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, because, now, you know I've heard of drives, the but ones I haven't tried to access mm-hmm. the drive in in its pre uh, decrypted, you know, and it's on in its encrypted state. Yep, yep, yep. What I have heard of though is drives, and I haven't heard a lot about them, but I've heard heard of it slowly. Is that the drives where the encryption is on the drive itself, and if you have it on the drive itself and it's handled by the hardware on the drive, and you have a you know fairly decent processor to handle the encryption and decryption, it's transparent then um that may get around that but but again i think that's a, a pretty new area and not you know it introduces probably its own set of problems but but to me that would be a better way to handle this whole encryption thing because you know trying to do the image thing and encrypt and decrypt i mean hard drives are only so fast and we may see better things i think dave and i have been chit-chatting about uh ssds uh solid state drives and i think those bring the promise maybe of being able to do this you know a little quicker Oh, that's, you know, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things about those SSD drives, of course, is they don't have any, uh, there's no moving parts, right? So the whole thought of defragmenting, uh, you know, or having fragmented data, I don't think it matters, right? So. Uh, well, it's not a mechanical operation, so I would think there's a much less impact. Right. Um, still, if it's spread about, if, it, you know, if the memory controller likes reading data that's contiguous versus spread all over the place, but but I would think not nearly 
as much an impact as moving a motor around or a stepper motor and, you know, a platter and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I think you and I were talking again. We, we may uh, be kicking the tires on some of these drives because they're, they're not at the level. Hold on. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. They're not at the level uh, yet, I think, of, of uh, capacity but, or price, but they're getting there. And I think, uh, I don't know, I'd, I predict in five to ten years we're not going to see any more mechanical drives. I agree. All solid state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it'll be less than ten, probably pushing into the five range. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm good for two seconds. <laughs> People are trying now. I might. Might I had to clear my throat? But uh, maybe. Maybe I'm consistently better now. I don't know. I'm just reading the comments here. So, anyways, yeah. Dave, where where are we at? Oh my gosh! Look at this. Uh, it's been. Well, we have. Oh, wow. um, uh, let's see. You know, Mike, Mike's question. I'm, I'm looking here at uh, some of these Mike, that we have prepped. Um, we're we're going to do Mike and we're going to do Russell. And then if there's another one in the room, hmm. uh, we, what, right. we, we wanted to. No, that's good. All okay. Right. All right. Go. Uh, so I got to get to Mike, though. So Mike calls in and says. Get the mic button. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm from New Orleans. And my uh, 1.5 gigahertz G4 iBook that's about five years old is jealous of my new computer. Uh, we just bought a MacBook refurb from Apple Direct, and I did the migrate using the migration tool. And I know what you're going to say. I'm noticing that my old computer is slower because I got a new computer. Well, no, it's extremely slow in comparison to what it used to be before I did the migration. So I'm calling to see is there anything in particular that I should do or look for to help my speed up. Um, the memory is maxed out on the machine. I got about... Uh, 12 gigs of free space on the hard drive right now. I'm running uh, an iOS 10.5 on the iBook. Uh, just let me know what I can do. Uh, and now's when you're going to cut me off. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. All right, John. Do, do take this. Uh, do you want me to take this one? You talked a lot in the last one, and, and you had to clear your throat. You want me to? You want me to roll with this here? No. I okay. Can, go. I can keep going. All right, I'm keep roll, going, brother. Roll. Well, no, I'd, I'd say one of the first things. So whenever you're questioning the uh, the relative performance of your uh, machine, you got to get the facts, right? Yep. So I would say something, because uh, a lot of times I've questioned, uh, especially as of late, because I'm starting to run apps that, that push the limits of the machine. You got to know what your machine is doing and if it's, you know, menu meters, okay? Yeah, okay. Yeah. You want to look at processor. You want to look especially at disk usage and processor. Um, to figure out what the, if you, if you think your machine is running slow, there may be a very good reason. You may be, you know, asking too much of it. So, whoa, what was that? Pete's Hello? breaking things up. Sorry. I just had to mute his, I had to mute his mic. So anyways, and I found this a lot of times when I'm in troubleshooting and just saying, why is my machine such a dog? I mean, on some machines, they have a disc light already. So if you see the disc light on continuously, that means you're swapping out or something's going on. Um, processor, you know, menu meter shows you that as well. Now, the other thing I noticed is that uh, there's a point on the Mac, at least, when it starts uh, kind of falling over as far as performance. And that's when um, when you see your VM stats page outs start to be non-zero or swap files start to take up space and stuff. Yep. Then you're in a situation that's kind of a death spiral. Is it, It's not going to get better. Uh, unlikely, it'll get better. It'll get worse. So 
That's my initial suggestion for just yeah. trying to peg what the, and I think you have a little more detail, but Dave, but, but some initial things to try to identify, is it my disk? Is it my processor? What, what the heck is, is making this, this system a dog? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, running activity monitor, looking at CPU usage to try and figure out what app is out there. Now you mentioned activity monitor, so that, um, yeah. I don't know if you have any more detail on that, but that's certainly one which, which I guess you could sort by CPU and then see it, who's doing this. Exactly. So that that's what I would do is launch activity monitor. The first thing I do is look at all processes. So you'll see uh, in the upper right next to the filter search, uh, it will if you've never run activity monitor before, it says my processes. You want to change that to all processes. And then I click on the CPU icon until the triangle is pointing down. And what that will do is it will float to the top any app that is using more CPU than anyone else. So that's step one. Step two is to take a look at disk activity. That's down at the bottom of, uh, of activity monitor. It's in the middle of the, what Apple calls tabs. I, they look like one big button that, uh, you know, has been like segmented. I, I don't get it, but anyway, that that's, that's their term for it. It is a tab. Um, so I, I click on disk activity there and just make sure that nothing is thrashing the drive because that even without CPU usage, that will slow things down. Now, of course, if something is thrashing the drive, you've got to figure out what that is. And, you know, then you're back to looking at CPU monitor. Uh, I if you go in activity monitor and you check out the view menu and go to columns, there are a jillion. Well, not a jillion, but maybe 12 uh, things out there that you can choose to show or not show. I always make sure I see R size, uh, which is real memory. So it, it, the column name is R size the, in the actual columns, but in the, uh, in the menu at the top when you select it, it's real memory. And so I look at that just trying to get a feel for what is taking up RAM. Because if you've got some app, and this happens to me with iCal, if I leave iCal running overnight... Uh, it will bloat up and hold two to three gigabytes of RAM. Now, this is because I wow. have recurring events and no end date on them. And it's a known but not widely acknowledged bug in iCal uh, that it will just try and create more of these all night long. So I have to remember to quit it. Otherwise, if I don't, my machine crawls in the morning and I have to quit iCal. But it often takes like five minutes for it to quit because it's got a kind of extract itself from all that swap memory and virtual memory that it's gone and created. So, you know, looking at that CPU and R size are the two that, uh, that I kind of keep an eye on just to get a feel for what's going on. And, and with Safari, just because it's such a memory waster, uh, <laughs> quit it at least once a day. If you're, you know, if you're you know, not, I was going to mention that because I sense that Safari caches things, way more often than it really needs to, or maybe it's over ambitious about that. And I, I don't know if there's a setting somewhere where you can kind of tell it to back off a little bit, but sometimes I just, because I'll look sometimes and, and what's taking all the time is Safari and it's doing nothing except sitting on the Apple page or something. And it's, and it's taking a hundred percent out of right. 200 with a dual core machine, of course, but still I'm like, what are you doing? You're a browser. <laughs> How can you possibly consume all processor? I don't get it. Right. Well, it does a lot. You know, it's got plugins. It's got, but it's not. Yeah, efficient. but when you're just sitting at a web page that's doing nothing, it shouldn't be consuming everything. Yeah, but it's Safari, John. It, <laughs> <laughs> we 
we are safari of borg you will be assimilated. yeah that's right it's safari. <laughs> what i mean if it needs the processor that's what the processor was built for john there's a factory in taiwan that builds processors specifically to be totally consumed by safari sorry i, I want the satisfaction of seeing something happen oh oh look if you're looking for satisfaction that's the next podcast over no <laughs> Uh, oh, I hope not. I hope well, not. No. Uh, okay, so we at? have we have uh, at least one more question to go, and I think we've got somebody in the room. If Pete, uh, okay, so we are live, or so I'm told. Is this Nevis? Hi, Dave. This is uh, Ron from uh, South Jersey. Hi, Ron. Um, uh, first time, a uh, long time listener podcast. Uh, first time uh, caller. Um, I have a question concerning uh, uh, software, a question concerning financial software. I've been a long-time user of Quicken, but I've been uh, thinking about uh, using a more uh, Mac-friendly uh, financial program. Do you guys have any uh, recommendations? All right. So, uh, you know, I'm the I'm the wrong guy to ask, I guess, because I've really? been a Quicken user. You're for- like the business guy here well okay so maybe i'm the right like a nuts and i'm simple man i'm just a checkbook type of guy and uh yeah anyways, go dave okay so yeah i am a business guy i i have four well three llc's and one c corp and then i also file um two schedule c's one for uh, some of the income that funnels in from the computing businesses including mm. you know tmo and and then i also file a schedule c as a musician because i i uh, deduct my mileage and claim my income so uh, I, tra- I, I do track all of that. Uh, well, my personal finances, I track in Quicken. My company finances, I still use QuickBooks. Uh, and I've been relatively happy with those. I like the way that Quicken interfaces with the banks that I use. I'm with Bank of America um, and Citibank. Uh, but, but there's, you know, there's, and, and I think Lisa, uh, we have an account with TD Bank North or something too. But it interfaces fairly well with all of those and pulls things in and to be frank, it's an interface with which I am comfortable and have been using for years. So I'm using the latest version of Quicken for Mac. And, you know, off the top of my head, I can't even tell you what that is, um, but I'm sure it's out there. I think it might be 2000. I think 09 is out now. Uh, no, 09 no. is not out. No. It's, it, okay. Well, and that might be the, the oh, death knell for summer. me. They say it's coming this summer, but. From what we've seen at Macworld Expo and such, Quicken financial life for Mac is not Quicken. Right. It's this new whole different watered down disaster from what I've seen. So I hope it's <laughs> I hope it's better than than what we've seen at Macworld, because if it's not, then I'm just going to stick with 07. I think it's 07 that I'm with right now, um, but it might be 08. Whatever, whatever it was before. That's that's what I'm on. Yeah, that's and, the only reason I still Dave. run parallels. Yeah. It's 07. Yeah. 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 Dave. Yes. Speaking of Macworld, I, I think, uh, you know, through our friend Paul, I, I think I've heard some uh, things are uh, ramping up, I think. That's that's what I hear. I have I I, I have no uh, inside knowledge on that. If, yeah. If, no, yeah. he's he's mentioned that, you know, yeah. there, there are vendors signing up and sessions are being scheduled. And, uh, and I think it's going to be uh, unique. Yes. And a good show. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking out I'm I'm looking out here. I just want to kind of finish up this financial thing. So there's a lot oh, of people sure. like you, Pete, that say that they're using Parallels to run Quicken 98 for Windows. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think there there was there's other stuff out there. Um, 
that that's good if you don't need something totally uh, all consuming. I, I really, I, I really do like Quicken. It it allows me to create custom reports and it it but it but it is sort of a behemoth. Uh, and if all you need to do is track your expenses, there are other apps out there. I don't see them coming through. I know somebody out there uh, had had suggested some. Cha-ching, I think, was one. Uh, but but again, these are you know m- much different target uh, and and much different scope, a much smaller uh, scope. There it is, Victor, uh, back in with Cha-ching, and Evan had said Squirrel was another one. So we'll put links to those out there. Check them out. I I don't know anything about them other than that there are people, uh, many people that use them for uh, for simple record keeping and finances. Well, and depending how far in depth you are, like my life is in there for thirteen years, I'd be so huh. difficult to. Sp- Swap out. I, I, yeah, I have no desire to to recreate that no. my data, and that's the same thing that I have with Quicken, and that's that's what scares me about this financial life two thousand nine disaster. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But you know, speaking of trade shows, John. So yeah, MacWorld is uh, it's in February as as we know. Um, oh, that's right, the reschedule. Uh, right? And now you're off to uh, the, the mecca. Up, so. Of Mac development. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So on, on Sunday afternoon, I leave for, for WWDC. We're going to the keynote Monday morning. I, I am going to lay down a prediction here that iPhone uh, OS 3.0 will be released next week. And I, I'm pretty confident. Well, I'm pretty I mean, confident in this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they've, um, not that I know anything about this, but I, I do believe that they're up to beta 5 at least for the developer release. So they've been making some steady progress. Yeah. On the developer beta program. Yep. Yep. Um, so I, I think I think we'll see that as far as Mac stuff, uh, you know, obviously I'm expecting more progress on Snow Leopard. I don't have any any inside info to share there uh, yet. And if I get some that I can share, then I will. Uh, the sessions, of course, at WWDC are covered by by NDA, which which gets a little frustrating from at, at times. But I completely understand why they do yep. that. And well, you know, what you want to do is uh, I just saw of, of well, I just saw our friend uh, Kirshen here. Uh, apparently, she uh, I guess they had an Iowa code camp, which in Iowa, what, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I mean Connecticut snob, but no, she's actually uh, skilled in iPhone development and did a session. So I guess. Out in Iowa, they have code camps, uh, like, cool. like they do in many places. So yeah. uh, that, that's uh, so. I just thought I'd pass cool. that along with a uh, a URL and everything. So we will definitely link to that. Thank you very much. Cool. Yeah. So uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. WWDC is always a fun time. It's becoming more and more of a networking event than it used to be. Uh, you know, it used to just be heads buried in code and and. Uh, kind oh of no! I got to shake my fist at this comment here. Well, Evan says iPod Touch will get a camera. I don't know about that. Oh, there's there's been a lot of talk about that, John. You know, because yeah. then what separates it from the phone? I mean, you see the spot in there. I mean, I have one. You have one, right? Uh, yeah. And it looks like they, they, you know, use the same case design in, in a sense. But, wow, if it did have a camera and one that didn't suck, because I'm sorry, iPhone camera. Hmm. What are you trying to say, John? Well, I don't know. I don't want to turn into the iPhone. Uh, that's right. Geek iPhone geek cab. We have, we have that, that URL. That's Michael's job. For, for that's Michael's day. job. I'm sorry. That's right. All right. Um, you know, I Speaking think it's, I, I think it's time to, yeah, to, to kind of fade down. out here. There is one thing I wanted to talk about this weekend. Uh, on a whim, I called Comcast to see if Doxus <laughs> 3 was available here. 
And it Doxus is. Doxus 3? What is Doxus, Steve? So Doxus is the cable modem standard. And uh, Doxus oh. 3 is the next rev of that standard. And it allows for faster speeds. And the way it works, it's actually interesting. P- cable modems prior to Doxus 3, uh, which includes most of the cable modems that most of us have, mm-hmm. uh, assign one channel for the downstream link and one channel for the upstream link. And and those channels by the channel. So you're talking a channel through the fiber or cable or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just like your TV tunes into a channel. So it's a frequency with a certain bandwidth. You got it on that wire. You, exactly. Okay, so one channel's good. More channels are probably better. Go e- on. Exactly. And so what Doxis three does is instead of limiting it to one channel on the downstream downstream and one on the upstream, it allows you to go to four channels on both the downstream and the upstream. So shut up much faster speeds. So right now I'm on a Doxis three plan. I have guaranteed uh, 22 megabits down and five megabits up. And it also takes advantage of Comcast, what they call their power boost technology. So I've seen over 30 down and over 10. I I got over 11 up right now. Is power boost the the like burst thing? Yes. Like for the first thirty seconds, it's exactly. really fast, and then it or however many seconds, and then right. it backs off, and then it ratchets down to whatever your maximum is. Yeah. So so there's that, and then I I think they also offer a plan that's fifty down and wow. ten up. Yeah. And but here's the thing, you know. So when I was there, I said, well, how much more is it? And prior to that, I had their their second tier plan. So they've got four tiers: twelve down, two up; sixteen down, two up; twenty two down, five up. At 30 whoa, whoa, down, whoa, 10 whoa, up. Whoa. Lots of plans. So I was on there 16.2, but my cable modem, the old one that I had, wouldn't even let me do that. So I thought, well, while I'm here, I'll just upgrade to the Doxis 3. Let's check it out. It cost me 10 bucks more a month. And it's fast when I run speed tests. But, you know, I'm going to give it a week. I'm looking forward to uploading the podcasts uh, in a moment here this evening to see how fast they go. But I'm not thinking I need... 22 down and five up here. In fact, I might go all the way back down to 12 megabits down and two megabits up. I I just don't know how much speed I need. I I don't know. The power boost really kind of evens it out for those little, you know, bursts of bandwidth that you need. And uh, two megabits up is plenty, man. You know, I, I was happy hmm. when I got 768. So I, and, and my now needs we got to hear, too, similar to you. So so here, Optimum Online is a, a cable fiber hybrid, which, you know, there's fiber somewhere. Right. But cable but to cable. the house. Right. And they offer what they call Optimum Online Boost. Yeah. And it's yeah. 30 megabits per second down and five megabits per second up. And it's an extra 10 bucks a month. Right now, I pay. I think because I also get cable from them, but not phone service, though they keep pestering me about it. Guys, stop it. All right. Um, (laughs) But anyways, it's like so it's 10 bucks a month extra. I I think it's similar to the Comcast deal you have, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just right. It's just a little bit more uh, to bounce up now. Yeah. So it, it starts at whatever price it starts at. I think it's I don't know let's say $40 a month for Comcast low end plan. And then it's 10 bucks, you know, a pop to get up. And then the final step I think costs an extra 25. So, um, so, you know, it, it is what it is, but, uh, but I, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. It's the, the upstream is the, the really important thing to me. Once I get above, you know, once I was above like six megabits, even eight megabits downstream, my my life was okay. You know, the bumping up to that two megabits on the upstream, that makes a big difference when sending out files or sending out emails with big attachments or, or anything like that. 
but you know, I just I don't. I mean, I've got five megabits now. Am I using it now? No. What Skype say we're using twelve kilobits? Okay. Well, that's actually what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm seeing yeah. five up, about twelve or seven up, twelve down. Yeah, it change, it's dynamic depending on which one of us is talking and and all of that. But right. you, you know, I mean, it it's like okay, I, I need low latency, but that's not going to change. Uh, I don't know. I, I I'll have to see, but I don't I don't see myself keeping this and it's not the 120 bucks a year as much as it is well if i don't need to spend the money i won't so well i gotta think too when i was thinking about this um you know my my wireless bandwidth is only so much yep i mean i'm happy with uh yeah but your wireless bandwidth unless you've got unless you're still on 802.11 b you you've got more bandwidth wireless than you have um from your cable Uh, let me think hmm Potentially, though, I'm in G mode. Yeah, so right. you're at 54. So figure, cut that in half. You're at 20. Which is 5 megabits, right? You're, or you're 4 at 20, 20 something. Um, right. So, I mean, you're, you cut that in half. You're still okay. Well, I'm, I'm saying it's close. No, that's 5 megabytes, John, not megabits. Hmm? Right? If you're cutting 54 megabits down. I'm sorry, you're correct. Yeah. So, you know, cut that in half. You're still at 20, you know, let's say you're at 20, right? You don't have a full signal, so you're at 20. Is your, is your connection faster? That mine is right now, but again, what am I going to, you know, what do I care about that? So. I, I think, uh, the, you know, there's a, a battle that I hear going on, which is more and more people, I don't know how, how much streaming you have done, Dave, but this whole equal access uh, thing or net neutrality is... The cable companies, I suspect um, Comcast (laughs) is one of the worst, is these guys don't like people streaming video and movies over their network because, you know what? They can't get the revenue. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So if I get my TiVo or my Hulu or whatever, and more and more things are offering HD, that's less money for the cable companies who would like to charge you for that as well. So we got this battle where, and and we've heard time and time again, Comcast gets uh, accused of traffic shaping or just. That was, that was once and, and they fessed up to it and now they're not doing it anymore. Well, I, at least one of of the people I follow and I think follows me uh, keeps pointing out that something weird is happening whenever he tries to stream video. So, I don't know. It could be transitory. It could be wireless because uh, I think that's a potential bottleneck if your wireless connection is, uh, you know, if you're in a busy neighborhood, you may get a point where something weird is happening or some neighbor turns on the microwave and, well, there goes your stream movie. Hmm. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, so if you want to contact us, you can email us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. John, that is. Was that feedback at MacGeekGab.com, Dave? It sure was. Feedback. And you know, I, I'd love to call. And if you wanted to call us, I think, Dave, you would probably call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335 you can see the excellently prepared show notes at macgeekgab.com, and you can <laughs> Skype us to macgeekgab. Uh, so, John, we got to figure out a time to uh, to podcast next week because I'm going to be at WWDC, and we should. Oh, plan. well, you're going to get that rock and hotel 
bandwidth, right? <laughs> I, I will. I, it, my bandwidth at, at the Milano has been great every time I've been there, including Macworld when everybody else was complaining. So I don't know. But but I also have another toy that I was playing with this weekend. I have one of the mm-hmm. Verizon MiFi's to uh, to play with next week at, Dude, at WWDC. So, so think in a nutshell, I've read about this. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We're talking about. It. We're not talking about it now. We're talking about it next week. There's there's way too big of a discussion to have. So you can look it up if well, you Victor, want. I, I see Victor loves it, but all right. So I yep. won't mention that it's a 3G to No, Wi-Fi you're not going to mention it. It's not. It's no, module. no, no, no. We're, we're going to talk about it next week. Okay. Uh, but can I real? Nope. nope. <laughs> so, is Michael Johnston's home when he is not here. Converting the podcast to AAC for your interactive enjoyment. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebones Software, DiscLabel.com, no, DiscLabel from SmileOnMyMac.com slash geek gets you a 20% discount, and Notebook from Circus Ponies at CircusPonies.com, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And with that, Uh, we're out of here. Comments? Yeah, we like iTunes comments. They're good. Polite, positive comments we like. We like them all. Well, we like them all. Even if they're... Yeah. We like honest comments. Let's just put it that way. We like it when you keep it... Oh. No, no don't keep it real. No, you can keep it real. Whatever. That's right. And whatever really... you do, take care of your shoes. What? I don't get caught. Made up.